this is Joy Gilfill and host of I Change Justice, where members of the Restorative Community Coalition talk civics with people who are living in the aftermath of an arrest. People confronting the compound dilemmas, ripple effects, and consequences on their family, friends, and taxpayers. Listeners' discretion is advised for this information can be disturbing and can trigger an emotional reaction. This is about lived experiences, discussed for taxpayer education, and to advance justice system reform. It is not to be used for legal advice. Hello, this is Joy Gilfillan with I Change Justice podcast, and I'm here today to work with Irene Morgan, the founder of the coalition, but we're gonna talk about something that is universal to the nation, but that is also very specific to Whatcom County, because when we're talking about prosecutorial discretion, we're talking about the way the prosecutors work, the way judges and public defenders work. We like to believe that this is a universal, that everyone's speaking the same language, that it's a universal problem. And what we've discovered is that it is, but it totally isn't. It completely depends upon jurisdictions and what you're dealing with. So welcome to the call, Irene. Let's talk about prosecutors, defenders, contract attorneys, how much of a problem we have trying to have a healthy conversation about all these issues when we all live in different municipalities and jurisdictions. Thank you, Joy. Thanks for having me again. And thanks to all our listeners. I really appreciate you tuning in to at least just learn about what our experiences are here in our county and our little corner of the world, because we truly are. Our nickname for Northwest Washington is the fourth corner. So um, little history. And I'm uh, I'm very excited to be able to continue this because I am every time I've told people many times, every time I go to court, I learn something new. Well, I go to court often. So um and then, of course, there's the pickle with, that Whatcom County is in right now with some of the things that are going on um, that it just it just keeps getting bigger. And people, most people, regular citizens, regular people having a job and going to work every day don't realize what goes on in the court and legal system unless you or someone you know is caught up in it and has had issues. Sure. And once... Once you get into it, it's like Greek. It's like or a really weird form of Latin or some kind of language that's the law and justice system language. But it's a courtroom language, which is very different than common law and what people believe they know about law, what they believe they know about courtrooms, what we're told about things, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty in America, that's really not quite true. And we've learned that over the last, you know, 16 years of working with the law and justice system. But it became really obvious as you were sitting in court, and we did some reporting back in 2015, we wrote a report that's called the 15 ways that prosecutors are over-criminalizing and overfilling our local jail. There were 15 different ways. We'd heard it from three different people on each case. And we finally realized that the prosecutors had a lot of discretion. But then a few years ago, you also heard about this prosecutor in Philadelphia, and you started paying a different kind of attention. Irene, talk to us about that. Well, Larry Krasner caught my attention when he was running for office. He used to be a public defender and, or at least a, a defender. And he decided that he didn't like the what, some of the things he was seeing in the courtroom and, and that was happening to people in his community. So he ran for prosecutor. And I have seen videos and read all kinds of articles. There were, there was a time period where there was a lot of attention on the prosecutor prosecutor and the prosecutor prosecutorial um, discretion. The prosecutor has total discretion on what happens to a case. And that's what most people don't realize. And uh, I certainly didn't. And so when Larry ran for office, I played, paid very close attention. And what, what I realized, he validated 
much of what I already knew because he went in and he he helped in Philadelphia when he took office, the uh, usual time to be on probation was 15 years. Oh, wow. That is an extraordinary long period of time. We've done some interviews with people recently who, who had five years on probation and it was excruciating. So to be a, a twice as three times as long just for, and I'm not saying that there aren't criminals out there. Don't get me wrong, but there are, there are certainly people that want to get on with their life and could, if they had some, not, not necessarily breaks, but be treated like most of us think we should be and get on with their lives and be the functioning taxpayer that most of us want them to be. So the and point they, is, and is that they want to be. Yeah. The point is, is that we're not arguing about people who are really convicted criminals who've done their time. They've done their crime. They intended to do it. We're talking again on I Change Justice podcast. We talk a lot about what justice is, the business of justice. We've learned that it's actually an economic uh, boon for judges, for courts, for the law and justice system, because it's been turned into a business that actually funds its own development and its own growth. So we've started to pay attention to what happens to people. And what you're saying is the difference between being convicted after, so there's the jail system, there's the justice system, there's the legal criminal system. Eventually, you, if you are convicted and you serve your time, there's a punishment system that is regulated. And then when you have come out of the justice system, you've come out of the jail and the prison system, and you re-enter society, there's times where some people go on parole in some states. In some states, you go on to probation. Some people go under surveillance or, you know, they have to register for the rest of their lives because they have a certain kind of conviction. But today, what you want to talk about specifically is what happens inside the prosecutorial system because we have a justice system in Bellingham and Whatcom County like you said, it's the Pacific Northwest. We're in the Northwest corner of the United States. And so we have a lot of justice issues because we're on the border between Seattle and Vancouver, BC. But prosecutors exist in municipalities. They, they exist in counties. They exist in multiple different jurisdictions. So the prosecutorial conversation is general, but it's also very specific. So Talk to us about what you've observed just recently because of the work you've been doing, helping people with expungements and to remove, you know, records and clean up their fines and penalties, Irene. What, what I have realized because of my witnessing is the prosecutor has total discretion and what happens in any case. So when someone is mentally ill, has a mental health diagnosis, and they they do something during an episode that often they have no control over because this is just the way the, the mental illness works. And I'm working with someone right now um, who, um, my, in a perfect world or even even in a non-perfect world this young man should have been able to uh, they they should have realized in the beginning could have realized that he was mentally ill that what he did and it, it was trespass and it was um uh burglary and a couple of other things there were no contact orders put in place and over a year later now they they're dropping charges against him and this, to me, screams of um, stacking of charges, or as the prosecutor and the police call it, probable cause. That may have happened. It might have happened. The conditions were that that looks like that's what maybe happened. But it they can't prove that it did happen, so they charge the person. 
So what, hold on. And that's hold on. where, and that's where the plea bargain comes in. Is so they hold didn't on. Commit, they didn't hold commit on. crime. Can we back up, Irene? Sure. Sure. So what you're saying is that this man had a mental illness. He was arrested and put in jail. He was held in jail for over a year. He's been had charges, multiple charges filed against him, but he was not convicted. So he's been held in a jail for over a year. They finally realized that he's got a mental illness diagnosis. No, they, no, they knew he had, no, he knew he, they knew he had a mental health issue. Okay. But they kept him in anyway. And yep. now they're dropping charges. Yep. They're dropping some of the charges, the original charges. So what happened is while he was in jail this entire year, he's been under under punishment and penalties. Legally innocent. Legally innocent. And yet every single month that he goes back for a continuance, there's money that is generated by the economic system of the jail and court system. We're not going to go into that right now. But what you're saying is he was still held for over a year as a mental health diagnosis, and now they're going to drop it. But you happened to go and look at the county jail roster at one point because you were looking at how long he'd been in there, right? Exactly. And what'd you find? Well, I found, I found, uh, well, I wasn't surprised. I was more agitated and um, disappointed, would be a mild term, that I found. One person has spent more than two and a half years in our county jail. That he also is not convicted, correct? Absolutely. So what you ended up doing was looking down through the jail roster and you found certain statistics that stood out. One of them was that you had 320 prisoners who were under the entire jail roster list on right? that particular day yes and that was that was uh april 21st of 2023 so you yep. you were looking at 320 prisoners listed 114 of them were in the jail five months or longest longer and the longest was two and a half years and that was one particular person and that yep. got your attention to start looking at all the rest of it yep and so what'd you find between um at at one year to two and a half years, there's 35 people being held in our county jail. And the problem with that is you're not supposed to be held in a jail long longer than 364 days once you're even convicted and you're supposed to have a right to a speedy trial. So what we're talking about is that people are in here over a year. They're not convicted. All of these people are spending time in a jail they're not in a prison the accommodations are not the same explain how those 35 people stack up well in, anytime you go to our county jail roster the the name is there and the date they were arrested so it, it's public record anyone can go on i go i don't go on often but when i wonder about something i go look it up and but this really got my attention when i was just thumbing through them and all of a sudden 2020 showed up and I thought, what? So I went back to look and sure enough, two and a half years. And um, so then I did that research. I went back to find out how many had been arrested in 21 and then 22 and then 23. And I, I just, I did my research. I did my, my columns. And um, so, uh, and there are then, um, 220, two hundred and two hundred six jailed in the last four months since the first of the year, through through the twenty first of April. But the ones that were in, you had one person at two and a half years. Two people were in the jail two years, right? Over two years, eight eight people over a year and a half, eight people at over a year, and sixteen people at one year. So we have 35 people and in, in jail, in our county jail for one year or more. And they're claiming 10% of our population jail population. Is that not? Yeah. Yeah. 
That's a lot of people. Yep. And that's a lot of people, especially when they're trying to use the fact that the jail is overcrowded as an excuse to pass $150 million jail tax. But that, again, is another conversation. I want to go back to the occupancy inside the jail and the fact that those are people who are supposed to be out. No one should be in there more than a year. And we have 35 people out of 320 that are in there over well over a year. And all of that is prosecutorial discretion. And if the prosecutor is supposed to be able to make decisions, why is he keeping people in the jail for that long a period of time? Well, there would be very, there would be lots of reasons. There would be, from my perspective, excuses uh, also. And, um, the and 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 I agree with with most of it, much of it. And if our money were allocated, we would have more services for some of these folks, like my friend who I've been going to court for, and um, he would he would have had a mental health evaluation. He would have been and and probably still is eligible for mental health court, but they say he's not eligible for what reason? I'm not sure. So there's there's just there there are decision makers that I feel are not making the best decision for not only the people involved but our community and the safety of our public on the streets. So during the COVID crisis there's some people will say well you couldn't do the same business. Well maybe that's true and maybe that's not true. But when you say that there's excuses and you agree with some of it or, you know, you agree that there's some people that go into the jail and are prosecuted, they do have to go through a certain number of evaluations and things. But a year to two and a half years is extraordinary. And it, you would question whether people should actually be in there because the continuances stack up. I know that you had a client. We had a client that we were working with who's been in there for over a year, year and a half. And we just read an article that our public defender, the head of our public defender's office wrote about. And he said, right now, so we're going to the idea that the prosecutors and defenders are having, there's some problems we've got in our court system. And that's not just in Whatcom County. He said, dozens of criminal cases in Whatcom County are in limbo because the defendants don't have lawyers. And among them are nine inmates in our Whatcom County Jail. They don't even have lawyers. Not only are they occupying space and they're not convicted, they don't have lawyers to get them out of there. They to can't talk afford to. Uh -huh. To even talk to. So they don't have anybody to represent them. And nope. what he went on and said was, first, they can't afford their own attorneys. Secondly, they qualify for a public defender but that office isn't allowed to take them on due to conflicts of interest. And then they don't have anybody to assign them to. So let's take a quick break, Irene, and let's come back and let's talk about what's happening that they don't even have attorneys. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. Today's podcast is being brought to you by the Restorative Community Coalition, a nonprofit organization committed to serving the voiceless, especially those silenced by civic trauma. We received contributions from the community to fund research, education, direct services, mentoring, case interception, court navigation, restorative justice, and more. Beyond our operating costs, our long-term capital goal is to build the Restore a Life Center, a hub for housing, employment, education, life skills recovery, including a farm for sustainable living. It is designed to help our community reduce civic trauma, mitigate conflict, promote rehabilitation, and encourage regenerative local living economic development. Please donate at the restorativecommunity.org. Irene, let's talk briefly about what this man said. He says, of 43 active cases cited by the public defender's office, the Office of a Sound Counsel hasn't been able to find an attorney for the defendant. What's up with this, this conversation about 
contract attorneys, conflict attorneys, not having public defenders yet. We got people in the jail. What's that about? Well, I first learned about this working with a different client, completely different, um, well over a year ago. And I, I, I can only assume that it happened because of COVID and they couldn't, they apparently, oh, from my understanding, they let an ad for defenders for the defender uh, public defender's office and didn't couldn't find enough people and they had these cases that they needed to have resolved so they hired conflict attorneys conflict attorney is someone who takes on a defendant that uh cannot be represented by the defender's office because someone already in this is one scenario someone involved in the same uh event cannot have a public defender they have to have a defender but not a public defender one that is hired by the public defender's office so in so, other words it's a conflict of interest yes conflict okay. of interest but they're called conflict attorneys and um and I've talked to a, a local attorney here and um, I asked him about it and I says, what, what is it with it? So he explained it to me and, and, um, and I just heard, oh, I, I think you read part of it in an article, Joy, you said that um, they put out a, a, an ad for conflict attorneys, the Whatcom County did, but they had no responders. They had yeah. no one that responded to their ad. Well, this private, this local attorney that I spoke with said that the reason he doesn't take Whatcom County conflict attorney contracts is because they don't pay enough money. He says, just to study the case and prepare for it is not, that's the, the, that amount of money that the contract that Whatcom County lets only allows you enough time to study the con to, to study the case and decide where you want to go. He says, maybe, maybe enough for the first court date after that, but he says, why should we work for nothing? He said, there's just, no they don't pay you enough to make it worth your while. He says, I work for other counties. I'm conflict attorney for other counties, but not for Whatcom. So when you're talking about, I was reading down through this article that he wrote, he said the 43 unrepresented defendants as of May 12th include 26 charged with misdemeanors. Misdemeanors. So they're sitting in jail on misdemeanor cases because they're unrepresented. There's yep. no one to go to court yep. and tell the judge what to do. So that's uh, 26 charged with misdemeanors whose cases are in district court. So notice that we have district courts, you have felony or superior courts. They had 12 felony cases in superior court and five juveniles. So now you've got juveniles sitting in court with no defender. And it was interesting, I wanna continue on this because I don't wanna lose the train of thought, is he's saying that this isn't right, but someone, has to raise the motion and make the argument on their behalf in order to go before a judge. And so then the prosecutor or the bench could have their cases dismissed, have them released from custody until such time as a lawyer could be found and appointed for them. Remember, these people are not convicted. So there's a presiding Superior Court judge that spoke and said she couldn't release a defendant from jail unless an attorney brought a motion to that effect, underscoring the ironic predicament of the nine individuals currently in jail who don't have attorneys. Then she said, I can't talk about the problem of defendings without lawyers because the Washington State Supreme Court rule from earlier this year's bars judges from getting involved in decisions about public defense. So isn't it interesting, we now have multiple catch-22s inside the law and justice system itself, just in the case of our local jail. I wonder what this is going on across the nation, because everybody's got different cases in different courts, different judges, 
different prosecutors and people can see and administer the law differently in every one of those jurisdictions. Interesting. That's, that's not so good. So let me read another piece of this. Our county prosecutor said on May 12th that he was advised of the problem of unrepresented defendants only the day before, which doesn't make any sense. If people have been in there for months unrepresented and the defender's office knows this and they've gone out to get conflict attorneys, I question the validity of that statement. And he said, this prosecutor went ahead and said, we could dismiss the charges, but I don't think the community would be happy about that. I haven't looked at the individuals and don't know the charges. So I don't know if these people are appropriate to be released in the community or not. Now, we have a problem with that because the prior prosecutor that was here said he read every single case before it goes to court, all the people that are arraigned. He makes all the personal decisions. And that's when you cross-reference that to what Krasny says. He said the prosecutors have total discretion to do whatever they want. So what's the matter? And we have this problem. The former prosecutor said he looked at them every morning. Yeah. And Monday morning, he had the whole weekend to look at whatever arrests were done on, on that weekend. So, and I'm not saying that, that the current prosecutor has to do exactly what the former prosecutor did. I'm just saying that that was, so if he doesn't know the cases, then he, it sounds like he's not reviewing the cases. And well, that's supposed to be his job. Well, I guess it doesn't have to be his job, but that's how our prosecutor chose to do it. Well, and he has dozens of sub-prosecutors who actually work for him. So yeah. the main prosecutor is one thing, but he's got other prosecutors who are reviewing these cases. And what we know is that there's nine people in the jail right now that are not represented. And when you, one of the things, Irene, I'd like you to talk also about the fact that we have two different jails. So again, is this, this is specific to Whatcom County, but the reason we're talking about it is because if you're in a county and, and there's something like 3,100 and some counties or something in the in the nation, every county is different. Every municipality is different. And so understanding how to ask these questions is useful. So when you started looking into what we're doing in Whatcom County, we've got a main jail and then we have a secondary jail, which is a minimum security jail, which they call the work center. And you notice that there was a difference in occupancy load because they're trying to get this jail tax passed to build one new jail. So what did you find out about the difference in how the sheriff, because now it's not just the prosecutors, the sheriff administers the occupancy loads in jail. So speak about that, would you? Well, as I was doing the roster research, I it says where each each prisoner is, whether they're in the main jail or the work center, or if they're uh, in a, a treatment facility, health, um, mental health facility, or if they're in a different jail somewhere, if they've shifted, shifted them, shipped them out of county. So everything was right there. And, um, and it said it also had those that were on um, electronic home monitoring bracelets. So uh, it gave a lot of information. And um, what I found was that the, I, I was aware of the occupancy um, max for the main, the work center when I was on the uh, task force, the incarceration prevention and reduction task force. And it's 150 max. And there's 102 people there. Why are we 48 beds empty? Why? Yeah, when that is the nicest jail in town and you yeah. have all these people who are misdemeanors and they're they're serving time in the in the in the older jail when they could be in the newer one that is minimum security it's much more decent from that standpoint so there's 102 people in the work center the capacity is 150 so and and when i um saw the number of people on EHM, the bracelets, mm -hmm. 22 people, 22 out of 102. Why? Why aren't there, there's, why, 
aren't there more people on electronic home monitoring? And one reason I know is it is so expensive. I believe it's $60 a day. And uh, in other counties, in our neighboring southern county, is $20, $20 a day. So that's three times more. So it's interesting, when you started talking about electronic home monitoring, it's been a few years since I was over at the IPRTF talking with, listening to people, but there were like disparities. It was $45 a day. It was $12 a day. It was $24 a day. It depends on, and this is when we started understanding that the occupancy load in the jail and the money that different cities and municipalities pay to occupy the jail is a business conversations, business negotiations. Yep. And so the sheriff was charging like the $45 a day at the time for occupancy and a hundred and some dollars a day, hundred and something, I can't remember, for occupancy in the jail. And the city of Bellingham was able to negotiate a better deal taking our inmates to a completely different jail in a different county. Across the got, Cascade Mountains. And they got better representation. Yep. And they got better fees and the city started to to hire a completely different contractor. So you start to understand that it depends on how a county operates, which contractors they hire, how they negotiate contracts with the cities that occupy the county jails. The whole conversation is a business conversation that has very little to do with justice. Yep. And that's a big deal. Yep. That's a really big deal. So I know, and, Irene, that... And this, I'd like to, while yeah. you're on that, I'd like to say that Bellingham, when when they were having difficulty with the jail and, and having doing writing their contracts, Bellingham sent their people to Yakima across the Cascade Mountains. Yakima paid for the transportation to and from, and Bellingham saved millions of dollars mm -hmm. in two years millions and they they took um they hired a different ankle bracelet company and it was i think it was 1425 a day and far different than 60 dollars and um and then our local lemmy tribe got this got a ehm contract for twelve dollars or seven dollars it was just an amazing amount of difference so and there was freedom for some of these folks they could continue with their lives and 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 our streets were as safe if not safer than before absolutely so, during the covid crisis we did not have a bunch of crime we didn't have a lot of people in deep 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 crazy being angry and I mean there were people that were distressed but we didn't have the kind of criminal problems that we had or that we have now because but this was this, even this was even before COVID this was that's long true. before COVID yeah that is true and yeah. people on electronic home monitoring they can be with their family at um at night because they're monitored by a system that if they go outside they're basically jailed at home that's what it means that's, you can that's go what to it call yeah it's it's home confinement yep it's home confinement you can go to work during the day you come home at night you promise not to drink drive there's different kinds of ehm br bracelets and different kinds of monitoring but all of that is possible so you don't have to break family units apart. Families can actually stay together. That's a really important issue because what happens when you take people out of a, into a jail, you break up because remember a jail is for county, prisons are for long-term felony and it's big. You don't necessarily have to break the family unit up. And so relationships are less busted up and you have a better result for the community in the end. So oh, let's better. take another quick break. We'll be right back, Irene. Uh, let's take a break and let's talk about what have we not talked about with this subject that would be useful for people across the nation to think about prosecutorial discretion 
to think about what is real justice in local jails and what's going on with the business of justice. Are you a member of patreon.com and enjoying our podcasts? As a patron, you can support the production of the I Change Justice podcast series. You can also support the Restorative Community Coalition, get our news, updates, and access to our digital training programs downloaded directly to your email address on a regular basis. So let's come back. Welcome back, Irene. Let's have a couple of real stories about why does this matter? Because, you know, we're talking about legal terms. We're talking about court systems. You're talking about stuff. But why does this matter? You've been working with people who you've helped, which is what gives you the wisdom that you've got. Talk about that. Thanks, Joy. Uh, you know, I there must be something wrong with me because I I actually get excited when somebody calls and needs help. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not because I'm glad they're in trouble. It's just like, oh, somebody needs me, I guess. I don't know. I was the youngest child. (laughs) Maybe that explains it. Um, uh, I helped uh, a couple of people with getting their LFOs, legal financial obligations, cleared. Mm -hmm. And that, that that was an incredibly educational experience. And um, and the one that stands out in my mind is this young woman was um, had LFOs that had been sent to collections. And and this is another whole contract area. The the cities or the jurisdictions do not hold the LFOs. They sell the contract to someone who collects the, the LFOs. So yeah. debt collectors is what you're talking about. So yep. sometimes even if you're making agreements with somebody to pay on a demand, you know, to pay regular, that if the municipality chooses to turn the debts over mm-hmm. in the interest they say of saving money, but it, depending on how the debt collector works, it can throw people into a real nightmare. Well, what I realized, I asked the right question of the right person. And what I realized is, in the sentencing, there's a, there's a certain time limit that if you don't have your fines and fees paid by a certain time, then there's a like a your mortgage loan, there's a balloon payment. Ah. Well, apparently some of these had had run to the to the max, or at least uh, this balloon payment was coming, and she didn't know it. And most people don't know this. Because they just just so oh you can pay twenty five dollars a month now and that's and she had done this for years, and she was she'd paid off a couple of of um of her jurisdictions, and um so what happened was she got a a letter in the mail and they said uh, you have three choices, your twenty five dollars a month payment goes from two hundred and fifty or three hundred and fifty. Or three payments of seven hundred and fifty dollars a month, and she was making fourteen hundred dollars a month. She was on uh, assistance. She had her child with her. She was doing very well. Her she'd been working for four years for her employer. They loved her, and she was she was feeling so good about herself. And her husband was coming home, and so she was going from prison, and they were going to be. Um, making a family together. And this put her in such a tailspin and she only had 30 days to to do something. So um, she called me in desperation and uh, I had never done it before, but I set to, to work trying to figure out how to do it. It took us about three months and she was able to, re- we were able to reduce her load $20,000. $20,000 was written off. She did not have to pay. But that was $20,000 that were fines and penalties. It didn't have anything to do with healing a person who was damaged. Let's be yep. clear about that. This yep. had to do with the racking up of charges inside a court system. Yep. So, so anyhow, no- I, I did that. I did that with a couple of different people. And then... Um, the I got a call from someone and they wanted to expunge their their records. They, they some some um, 
charges you cannot have expunged. They stay with you forever. But there are uh, lesser crimes that you can have uh, taken off your record. But it's a very long, it's a very arduous, it's a very confusing system. And again, like Joyce says, every jurisdiction has a different set of rules. And you have to know those rules. And they scold you harshly if you don't know them. <laughs> and of course, you're supposed to have a computer. You're supposed to know how to navigate and get all these forms online. Well, I'm 82. I have I have some issues with this technological stuff. Not everyone my age does, but um, I do things the old-fashioned way mostly. So... Um, I was able to befriend a couple of people and they were very helpful. And and let me say that most people I've encountered, some people have an attitude, but most people that I have encountered are very helpful. You're talking about the, the court system. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about the people that work in the offices in the courthouse or the city halls or wherever. Yeah. In the in the jurisdictions. And um and uh so i've i've had lots of help but if you ask the right the, the wrong question again you're scolded no i cannot give you any legal advice i've told you that <laughs> i'm not asking for legal advice i'm just asking for clarity you're asking for administrative advice how do you process things through the court and justice system in an expeditious manner when no one knows what's going on and you're trying to figure out a specific case. This is going to be universal across the nation when you go to try to help someone to get out of legal trouble after they've served their time, after they're trying to clean up their records. That's what you're talking about, Irene. Right. And I just got a, a call this, this, uh, yesterday from this fellow that I had conne that connected with us through, through one of these wonderful employees of the county she gave him our number and um i had worked with him for a while and uh he had he had one misdemeanor gross misdemeanor and i had helped a young couple get uh the husband's um vacate and sealing of records done and she's just a real whiz so i called her and i says can you help this fellow and within an hour she had the paperwork filled out and he was able to print it and or or electronically. I don't know how it how it turned out being, but um, but he had lost three job opportunities because this gross misdemeanor kept showing up, and he was he had another interview um, for another job, and he didn't want to lose this opportunity too. He said, and this was this is um, is fifteen years old. Wow. This crime of his is 15 years old. And and he lives in a different state. So he can't come here and do it. So he connected with us and, and we were able to do it in, in an hour's time. So it, it, it hasn't gone through the courts yet, but we were able to get the paperwork done for him. He had absolutely no idea where to start. The paperwork cool. is so complicated. So what you're also talking about here is that we're talking about the United States of America. Every state has different rules. Every state has different laws and meaning of different misdemeanors and felonies because every state changes their laws depending upon what the legislature in that state determines is right, wrong, or, or punishable or whatever. And, and then you go to the jurisdictions and they're all different. And if exactly. you move or if you transfer, if you live somewhere else in some other county, some other city, some other state, you've got to cross these barriers and figure out what's going on. And a lot of this is legalese. And most of our clients are not college educated legal lawyer type people. They're average Joe citizen. And this is why people continue to remain caught up in the legal system, in the in the courts, because they they everything is so difficult, so convoluted. I believe it's done on purpose because people can't don't because they don't know how to get their 
history cleaned up so that it doesn't show up all the time. And so they, they get frustrated and they're, they're angry because they can't get ahead in life. So I want to challenge her. It's done on purpose. If you're yep. talking about 50 states, you're talking about 3000 counties, you're talking about different law enforcement agencies, different attorneys, everybody interprets things differently. I want to challenge that notion because it can certainly feel like that. But it also, in many cases, is just it's so big and so unwieldy, people can't even figure it out. And so it becomes this nightmare and no one tackles it. Okay, so, so let me let me say it differently. Yes, please. There is there is a particular language. It is a specific language that most people don't understand and it's a legal language. It's used in the courts. It's absolutely different and one word that means a particular thing to you, the definition for you is completely different in the court of law or sure. in and, and that's what most people don't don't uh, realize and let me give you a let me give you for instance i went into the prosecutor's office and asked for a definition of a particular statement that i hear all the time in court and i was told that they could not give me legal advice but the the um, supervisor of the of the department told me if I really wanted to know, just go to the library. Just go to the library and look up the definition. And I'm thinking, to the library? I didn't know that the library practiced law. <laughs> Why can't you just give me the definition of how you use this in the in your court of law? Well, she she argued and quarreled with me and and I just so and what I wanted to know I wanted to know the difference between um oh my goodness it had to do with the difference between the use of the term and the how it applied to a client I remember you talking to me it, about that and it wasn't a legal, I mean, all you wanted was a definition so that- With or without prejudice. That's it. I said, give me the, what is the difference between um, dismissing a place, uh, dismissing uh, a charge with prejudice and dismissing a charge without prejudice? The, I hear it all the time in court. And- she told me that they could not give me legal advice. I said, all I'm asking you is a definition. She refused. So I went to one of the attorneys that I knew. He was having coffee. And uh, bless his heart, I interrupted him. And he says, oh, yeah. So what, would, what do you think? Dismissing a, a dismissing a case or charge without prejudice means. I don't know. Well, I I would assume, and I did, that there would be no, um, that, that, that there's no prejudice. That there's that it would be without prejudice. Well, you want what you want is with prejudice, and with prejudice, they cannot come back and reopen the case. So they can't recharge you. They can't bring it back again. They can't say, oh, well, wait a minute. We'll go We'll go back and get this and pull it forward. So it was actually the opposite of what, it, what a logical, normal person would think. That's exactly right. And that's why I say it's on purpose. Yeah, some of it. Okay, so I can buy the story okay. and I can buy the idea that some things are confusing on purpose. It and, is I, and I have seen it. Over and over and over. Yeah, but the misinterpretation often when you say that phrase, yep. Yep. people think that the human being who's administering the desk right. job is intentionally trying to cause problems when they may not know. They probably don't even know the difference. And one of the things we've discovered is that when people work in certain silos within the government, they only do their job in that room and they don't understand that it has consequences in a different room with a different judge and a different situation. Yep. 
And that is where the confusion comes in. Wow, Irene, this has been really helpful to have this conversation. We've only got a couple minutes left. Is there anything else that you want to talk about regards to encouraging people to be willing to go do the kinds of research that you're talking about? Because there's a lot of injustice happening in the world. Share maybe a story or something about why it matters that you helped somebody. Well, um, our person we interviewed just last week, I had no idea until she shared with us the other day that, that she was helped as much by us as she was. And this, this happens all the time. Uh, we just don't know. Um, we just don't know. And then we. Um, it and people say, her... I, I don't know how you do what you do. Why do you do it? Um, I don't know, because I like to see people thrive rather than strive so hardly hard and not be able to to get on with their life. But what she also said, I recall the interview, she said, if you hadn't been there and helped me, I'm not sure I would have been here. That's right. And, and that I had, yeah. is the life difference. That's the life affirming difference that keeps you going and that we would encourage other people across the nation. There's many things you can do and a little bit of help, even just witnessing sitting in the courtroom and witnessing what's going on can change the destiny of another person's life. Yep. And, and when she then um, reciprocated, well, this was before she met us, but she, she spent several years counseling other people, just not, not as a counselor, but just being there to listen, to help people, to help people not commit suicide like her son did. Yeah, it was, it's, it's so interesting it, what a little bit of a helping hand can make a difference in another person's life. And change the trajectory forever. Yeah. So yeah. thank you very much, Irene, for being on the call. Thank you, listeners. Please thank you, enjoy Joy. Thank you all. The next episodes, if you can go into Spotify or in any of your podcasts, you can download prior episodes. We've got over 70 episodes up now. So don't be afraid to go check them out. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for listening. Please share our podcast with your friends and family. Subscribe at Spotify, iTunes, or from your favorite playlists. At therestorativecommunity.org, you're invited to subscribe to our newsletter, connect through social media, or send us feedback on our shows. If you're inclined to help, you can volunteer, donate, learn more, and connect at info at therestorativecommunity.org. Contributing helps us empower those silenced by oppression so they can emerge into their higher potential. Thank you.